0: Welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. Influencer brands might be common now, but that wasn't the case half a decade ago. One of the original Instagram influencers, Mariana Hewitt, launched Summer Fridays with her co-founder Lauren Ireland in 2018. As the first influencer brand at Sephora, Summer Fridays quickly became a top seller with its cult jet lag mask. The brand received funding from Prelude Growth Partners and now has a full lineup of skincare and makeup products. On this week's podcast episode, Mariana joined to talk about her career and how she got started on Instagram early after the YouTube days. She also talked about her strategies for going viral on social media with collabs like her Erewhon smoothie and what she thinks about the rise of short video and TikTok. Mariana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. We're talking today about Summer Fridays, but before we get into the story of the brand, do you want to start by taking us back to how you got started in your career as an influencer? You were previously an entertainment reporter, right?
1: I was. So growing up, I wanted to be Oprah, and I still do. There were so many things that I love about her and her career. And one of the things that I loved about her was that she was able to share Oprah's favorite things with an audience, and she was able to tell stories and connect with people. And I always thought if I wanted to share things that I loved with an audience, I had to become a TV host. So that was the path that I started going down in my career, and I was working first in PR, then entertainment news, then fashion and beauty news. And then YouTube came around. And at the time when I was sending my reel out for different places to audition for TV hosting, I had to upload it somewhere. So I uploaded it to this website called YouTube. And then I had this YouTube channel because I was sending my um, my file out to different places to audition. And I was like, okay, well, I have this channel. I love makeup. I love product let me just film a makeup tutorial. So in my living room, I can distinctly remember it was February of 2012. I uploaded my first makeup tutorial. And I loved it. And at the time, you being an influencer, creator, YouTuber, it wasn't really a job yet. So it really was just out of the love of sharing product, the things that I loved sharing it with an audience. It was always these things that I wanted to do in my career when I grew up. But it just wasn't a career path yet. The only way you could really do those things was through television. And so I started doing that for a few years on the side while I was still working at my full-time job. And I would create YouTube videos on nights and weekends. And then I Instagram came around. I started sharing them on Instagram. And then by 2014, brands slowly started seeing like, okay, there's people on social. There's people here. There's some opportunities. So first, it wasn't anything paid. It was just brands sending me product. And I could not believe That I could get something for free and that I could share it. And it was things that I would buy with my own money anyway. And after doing that for a little while, I ended up um, being able to turn it into a job. And this was the very early days. And so um, since 2014, I've been a full-time creator. I started on YouTube blog and then Instagram. And then I took that love that I had for beauty and products and always the core of like who I wanted to be in my career as I grew up and turned that into my own platform now instead of being a TV host somewhere else.
0: And then from there, created Summer Fridays. And in those early days, did you have any sense of how big Instagram could be for a career?
1: I had no idea. At this time, there is very few people doing it as a job, and I didn't even really know it could be a job yet. So at the time, it's people like Chriselle Lim, Ami Song, Michelle Fan, like there's very, very few people in the space. So I didn't really have that many people to aspire to be like there was not a career path to follow. We were all trying to figure it out at the same time as it was evolving. And so the industry was growing As we were growing at the same time. So I think brands were trying to figure it out. We were trying to figure it out at the same time. And this is so early that brands didn't have an influencer marketing budget. It's not like it is today. And so it really was like free product. And then it started to be like a little bit of convincing brands like, okay, we see something here. And it really started to grow. And You know, Thankfully, now there's so many amazing creators through so many platforms that new creators can aspire to see certain people's career paths to follow. But at the time, there wasn't that. So we really had no idea what we were doing at the time. It was just the pure love of creating content and putting it online to build these communities without really expecting much in return.
0: And you obviously saw what kind of sales influencer marketing could generate for brands. When did you get the idea of like, hey, I could launch my own brand?
1: Yeah. So in the very early days, at this time, there's reward style, which is now called like to know it. And it was reward style and shop style were kind of places very early on with affiliate sales. And creators could sign up and you still can today where you can link a product you can post a, a link on your YouTube or your blog and you can see how many sales and clicks you're generating. And so we didn't have this data before sites like this. We really didn't know what we were doing for brands. But when you see that you're sending thousands of clicks and thousands of dollars to something, you're like, "Okay, wait, there's something here. People really am being influenced and I am an influencer because I can, you know, share a product that I love and get people to like it and see the results." So In time, when I was doing it, I didn't really know that all of that data could become like a focus group for me. And I could pull all of this information. And so when I was posting products online and my followers were saying, is this vegan? Is this cruelty-free? can I find something under $50? Is this available at Sephora? This was all of this information I started being able to gather. And so in time when you could see like, okay, there's products here, it was just the very early days of going viral. It's much different than TikTok now. We were seeing that it could make a real substantial difference into a business. You can think like, wow, if I know I can do this for other brands, why not do this for myself?
0: And you launched Summer Fridays in 2018 with your co-founder, Lauren Ireland. Tell us about the founding story. How did you link up with her and come up with the idea for the brand and the first product? Yeah, so Lauren and I have been friends for a very long time, and we're both in the influencer space. We were both very
1: early in the days of blogging and living in Los Angeles, and we had this career path that was Very mirrored to each other. So, Lauren and I were both working. She was a news anchor. I was working as a TV host. We started our blogs around the same time. And so, being in the industry, we both had so much that we were sharing around the space. Lauren's content was a lot around being a lifestyle um, blogger and influencer. And then she was very early pregnant in the early days of starting Summer Fridays. And so, she was cleaning out her makeup routine and her skincare routine and going through products that she wanted to use and wanted not to use. And so, that was really the founding story of like, okay, what what ingredients do we want here in our products and what are we looking for? And so in 2016, um, she was pregnant at the time with her now almost six-year-old son, Evan. And I was working a lot with so many of the prestige beauty brands. And we took our expertise and what Lauren's needs were and the idea for Summer Fridays was born. And so in 2016, it was very early days. And you have to think back then, being vegan and cruelty-free was not like it is today. A lot of brands were becoming vegan and cruelty-free, but they weren't launching that way. And we knew that was important to us because of our background of being influencers and creators. And we knew that that's what our community and customers wanted. And this is so early that we are working on the brand that Instagram stories do not even exist at this time. And so we thought when we got a product and we loved it, we very much cared about what our feeds looked like at the time. And like, will this be on our feed? Like, is this photogenic enough to post? And so when we were thinking about the packaging of the product, we wanted to be able to share it. Like, is this good enough for your Instagram feed? And we really thought about things being social and digital first. And then of course, first and foremost to our brand is products that worked. So we wanted to have a product that really wowed you and made you feel like, wow, this is such an incredible product. I love this formula so much. The packaging is so beautiful. I want to share this because of how incredible it is. And so we worked on the brand from 2016 to launching in March of 2018.
0: And it's so interesting talking about 2016 as if it was a different era because it wasn't too long ago, but it does feel like a totally different era in history and social media and digital these days. 2018 was still a really big era for D2C beauty. There were all these digitally native startup brands out there, and they were launching exclusively on online channels. And obviously, you were very digitally focused. But Summer Fridays launched with Sephora right at the start, right? What made you guys want to go right into retail?
1: So it was always our dream to launch at Sephora. So when we were thinking about the brand, we thought, where do we want this to live? And we always shopped at Sephora. It was a place that we always went to. And we are really big on manifesting and visualizing and then doing the work to make it happen. And so we would walk around the aisles of Sephora. We would look at the aisles and we just we could say, like, where do we fit in here? What is different about our brand than what's being offered here? Like, how can we stand out in the sea of brands that's here? And when we were building Summer Fridays, we really thought about being different from the other offerings at the time. And so uh, it was always our dream. We didn't know if it was going to launch there or not. We were going to launch the brand regardless, but we were doing everything in hopes of being there one day. And if you think about it, people like Selena Gomez and Rare Beauty and Rihanna and Fenty, these are some of the biggest Celebrities in the world. And the fact that they still have retail partnerships like Sephora means that there's something there that even if they can push all of this traffic to their own D2C site, they understand the value of a retail partnership. And I think in beauty, it's really important. So you know, with clothes, you can see a t-shirt online and you maybe know what size you are and you can order it. But with beauty, you really want to go into a store. You want to experience it. You want to see what does this shade look like on me? What is the texture like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? And it's so much more intimate when you're, you know, purchasing beauty. So I think the retail partnership is really important. And so we always wanted to go that route. And, you know, thankfully we were able to end up launching with them. And I think You know, when we launched Summer Fridays, we launched with Jet Lag Mask, and it was just one product. And that's, you know... Easier for a retailer like Sephora to take a new brand on board because it's not as big of an investment on their end either. It's just one product that they can put on their site or one product that they need to find space for in store. But if you launch a brand with a full assortment, it's a much bigger investment on the retailer side to invest into the brand, into buying multiple SKUs, into finding space into a store. So it's big risk, this big reward if you, you know, if it works out, amazing. If it doesn't work out, I don't know if the brand would be what it was today if we didn't have the success of jet lag mask at launch, because if you only have one product for a long period of time and it's not doing well, then as a new and indie brand, that's your you know growth. You need sales from that product to generate more sales and invest back into the business. And so it's been really incredible with Sephora and we're still exclusive to them and um, we love the partnership and it's really the best place to be for beauty.
0: And you were also one of the earlier clean brands at Sephora as well. What was the market like then for the clean category in a mainstream retailer like that?
1: It was very early days. So when we were launching, they didn't have clean at Sephora yet in stores. And it was something new that they were launching. So that's how we were able to actually get into stores and sit at the clean at Sephora wall. So at the time, it was really... Drunk Elephant was leading the CleanIt Sephora skincare category
0: for them. And so it was really built around that. And um, yeah, and that's where Summer Fridays came in. And you also lined up VC Investment. You had investment from Prelude Growth Partners. Did you want to talk about your approach to fundraising and what that's meant for the brand's growth? So when we launched the brand, it was self-funded. And
1: the success of Jetlag Mask made us realize, okay, we have something really incredible here. And what we don't want to do is lose this momentum that we have. And to grow the business, we needed more capital. And so it was like a dating process. And we went through and met with so many people and Prelude was really incredible. It's two female founders. They are so smart. They ended up acting like interim presidents for us and CEOs and headhunters and helped us with so many things along the way. And at the time, they were also newer, and they had a few brands under their belt um, at the time, like Westman Atelier and Sol de Janeiro. And we love the brand that they had, the brands that they had, and um, we felt alignment within their portfolio. We love what they had to offer. And so we raised money with them in 2019, and they're our only investor. It's a minority investment. And it's been really incredible for the brand to have not only the financial support, but the support of the two of them um, and helping us figure out our org chart and what we needed to do for the business to take it to the next level. And it was really invaluable to have the two of them, and they're such great partners.
0: And what are your thoughts on VC funding and fundraising today? I've been talking to a lot of beauty brands who said that they think that the Silicon Valley bank closure will impact VC funding across the board, not just in tech, but um, also in beauty. What are your thoughts on fundraising now? I think,
1: you know, it's really like a dating process and you need to go through and meet people and really understand what you're getting into before you go into this marriage with them and take time and meet people and not only talk to people that are in their current portfolio, but people who have exited as well. And, you know, really see what the relationship is like and do they enjoy working with these people because they do become a part of your business and it is really such an important relationship. And I think with so many beauty brands launching, Now, so many of them are funded pre-launch, so it's really competitive in the space. And so having the capital necessary, I think, to stand out in retail and as a brand um, becomes more and more important.
0: And with the product lineup, you started out, like you said, with the jet lag mask. Now you have the whole lineup of skincare and you've been getting into makeup. How do you approach product development and decide on which products to bring into the market next?
1: we really think about our product pipeline as being things that are here to stay. So we're not thinking trend-focused, we're thinking long-term. So when you're buying and trying a product from us, will you like this in one, three, five, ten 10 years from now? Because we're really hoping to create staples that are in your routine for many years to come. And we've always thought about the longevity of the brand and our pipeline. And um, when we think about our no makeup makeup products, it's really an extension of your skincare routine, which is why we came up with our skin tint, because we thought you know, your skincare routine shouldn't just stop at SPF, like this is still complexion that you're putting on your entire face. And so we really think of that as being something skincare first. And it's been really incredible to see the response across categories from us between skincare, sun care, no makeup, makeup, and body care and just offering more of that. But it's not about, you know, more launches each year. It's about having a few launches that are really meaningful that people continue to buy over and over
0: again. And what's your best seller right now? Our best sellers are Jet
1: Lag Mask and our Lip Butter bomb. And Jet Lag Mask has remained a bestseller for us since launch um, a little over five years ago now. And so it's so incredible to see that five years later, people continue to repurchase this product from us. And so uh, we sell a Jet Lag Mask every two minutes and we sell a Lip Balm every minute, which is pretty incredible. And so um, Lip Balm is really great for us to get people to enter into the brand and then continue to purchase other skincare products from us.
0: And also we're in this moment of makeup revenge buying, as people have talked about, where with the pandemic reopenings, people started going back out and buying makeup. How big do you foresee makeup becoming in your product lineup?
1: I think it's a really big opportunity for us, and I think it's a way that Summer Fridays does makeup. So it should be really effortless, easy, intuitive, very easy to apply. And so you still can have your favorite foundations that you use maybe for night out, or if you want something with more coverage, but everything sort of has this summer Fridays ethos and feeling to it. And so uh, it's something that I would love to explore more of. And I think with the success of our sheer skin tint, we can um, assume that our customer wants more no makeup makeup products from us.
0: So with your expertise in digital marketing and influencer marketing, I definitely wanted to talk about your digital strategy. First of all, did you want to talk about what your top platforms are right now for marketing? Where are you seeing traction?
1: For our own created content, we spend a lot of time on Instagram still. We have a really large community on there and it's been so incredible to see how engaged they are um, there. And I think naturally because Lauren and I grew our own communities via Instagram first, and then obviously the last few years with TikTok coming on board. And then for us with TikTok, it's less about our own TikTok platform. It's more about being present on other people's channels. So finding new creators to work with, um, reposting UGC seeding new product launches and TikTok is so great for discoverability and SEO and it's such a great platform there for anyone's content to go viral and so it's been so great to see just customers of the brand who love the products who share it and it just goes really well and we end up seeing it where on Instagram it's a little bit harder for newer creators content to really show up and so we love finding so many people on there and I see at each new event that we have so much new talent and I love that what tiktok has done for the industry is create more influencers over the last few years and i just i spend a lot of tiktok time on tiktok personally and i really love the platform
0: yeah what was your approach to tiktok when it started rising as an influencer who's kind of been through the whole evolution from youtube to instagram what was your approach to tiktok
1: my own personal approach i had downloaded it in the end of october i think it was like october 2019 and i was just watching it and at the time it was a lot of dancing videos and then in early 2020 i posted one of my first videos that went viral and it was something about how i edit instagram pictures and today i think it's still like one of my most viewed videos i think it has like 12 million views on tiktok and i woke up and I could not believe how fast this video was growing. And I had never seen anything like it on Instagram before. And it's almost like the very early days of Instagram, if people remember the popular page. And it's kind of what the For You page is now, where people's content were all getting shown to the same page and people were growing really fast. And because it's the early days, it was a lot of dance content before it came very like educational, how to discover ability like it is today. I wasn't really sure where my own content would fit in the space. And so um I was a little slower to figure it out on that platform for myself. I'm a little bit more consistent now. Um it's something that I do and I really enjoy watching TikTok. And so for Summer Fridays, TikTok content, we knew we really wanted to have a presence there. So we posted our job listing on LinkedIn, and then there was somebody who saw the LinkedIn profile who ended up doing a TikTok video to go along with her resume and her application. And that's who we ended up hiring. And it was someone who knew the platform really well. It's so native to her. It's something she really understands. And we're learning from her because it's something that she does all the time. And so um, she's like strictly on video. And it's so great to see this next generation of how they think about social media.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting to hear about how brands are finding talent to manage their TikTok accounts. What is your priority in terms of what your social team focuses on these days? How much effort goes to TikTok versus Instagram versus other platforms? It's
1: not necessarily like Instagram versus TikTok, but for us, it's more video content. So in beauty, I think video really is the best. Like you can see what a lipstick looks like or you can see what a foundation looks like in a photo. But how does it apply? What is the texture like? What does it look like when you swatch it? If I'm trying on different things, what does it look? How do you apply different products? Are you using a sponge? Are you using a brush? And so with video, it's been really incredible for beauty because I think you can just say and show so much more. With fashion, maybe photos are still working really well. And so video has been so incredible for beauty. And it's really going back to like the very early days of YouTube of like, why YouTubers and beauty creators did so great on that platform, because people really want to see the product of getting ready and a vlog and how you're using it in your routine. And why do you like this product? And it's so convincing to hear it from somebody in video format versus explaining in a photo with a caption.
0: And we're recording this at a time where TikTok has not been banned, but there is a lot of talk about a possible (laughs) Uh TikTok ban. So once this airs, I'm not sure where it's going to be. But As a brand, how do you think about that with this kind of thing going on? Do you make contingency plans? Will you switch to other platforms if TikTok does get banned? What do you think? I think we just have to wait and see what
1: happens. There's no use of, you know, being stressed out about it before it comes. Thankfully, with Instagram, there's Instagram Reels, there's YouTube Shorts. So there's other platforms for short form video content. But I really hope for the creator economy as a whole that this doesn't happen. It's been so incredible for this whole new generation of influencers to come around to be able to build platforms and businesses and careers for themselves. And so I really you know, hope for the sake of this next generation of creators that it doesn't go anywhere because they've built such strong audiences on there. So um, I hope for them that it stays and we'll just have to see.
0: What kind of potential do you see for YouTube Shorts and Reels? Do you think it would fill in for TikTok if it went away?
1: I don't think it's the same. Like, there's something about TikTok and the culture on there and how people speak and share video and create. And I think people love the idea that they can potentially go viral and that they can build followings for themselves, Where I think there is some frustration with people on Instagram that maybe they don't have the same reach or when they're posting stuff, people aren't seeing their content. And so I think if YouTube and Instagram can come up with a way where they can, you know, boost people's content so that they get more views so that they can gain more followers, it will be more encouraging to creators to post more on those other platforms.
0: And how beneficial have ads been on social platforms? We've heard so much about the iOS changes, and targeting is a lot harder these days. What have you seen with Summer Fridays and the potential for ads? It's something that we still focus on. Obviously, with the iOS updates, um, it changed things for all
1: industries that were doing ads um, via Facebook, Instagram. Um, On TikTok, it's a little different. And so the way that you can boost content on there is different as well. But we are seeing success on there as well. It's just everyone, I think, had to get creative in the last few years. um, But it's still something that we're doing.
0: How do you approach your personal content in terms of your own brand content versus other content? What's the balance these days? So I'm still a working influencer and creator, and I work with other
1: brands. And I don't want to take that away because what I don't want is my personal page and feed to become all Summer Fridays content and feel very, very like addy or spammy. And like, you're only hearing about this one type of product from me. And if you want to learn about that, we have our own channels where we're talking about it 24-7, but I still want to be able to share things with my community that I love across beauty and lifestyle and wellness and travel and fashion. And so I do like to share all of those things. And then, of course, organically weave in Summer Fridays, but I never want it to be so over Summer Fridays because that's not why people started following me in the first place. And so it's important to me to do all of those things. And naturally, that's still what I enjoy doing. And so I like working with other brands, and it hasn't been a problem. And a lot of brands that I work with, like Dior Beauty and Dyson Hair, they sell at the same retailers as we do. And so there's a lot of synergy across the brands that I work with and what I create. And um, I think just as time has gone on, I've worked with less brands that might have competitive products to Summer Fridays, but I'm definitely still sharing things across things. So if you follow me, you maybe will find your favorite new dry shampoo or texture spray or supplement to take. And so I still want to add value through um, social. And then of course, through my podcast, um, Life with Mariana. So I'm always sharing content there as well. And it's really important for me to have those touch points with my community.
0: And you also do a lot of interesting collabs with other brands and Summer Fridays. Did you want to talk about some of the ones that you've done that have been interesting or have resonated with your audience?
1: One of the first collabs we ever did was with Way Hair Care, which was incredible for us as a new brand to be able to work with a brand that we loved and a founder that we admired. And as time has gone on, we've really you know, took these partnerships offline, and that was really important for community building for Summer Fridays. We didn't want to just connect with our community online, but we wanted to create an entire Summer Friday space for them to connect with us and the brand. And one of the first ones that we did was in Los Angeles, we did a cafe pop-up for our fourth birthday. And we had over 7,000 people come over the weekend. It was incredible. It was so much fun. It was at La La Land in Santa Monica. And it was so great to see people in real life. It was post pandemic. People were really excited to come. And recently in New York, we did a pizza shop pop-up. We took over um, a space called Upside Pizza in Soho. And there was lines around the block the entire weekend. And it was the first time we had done something that large in New York. And it was so fun to see people in real life and have them come and they were buying products and merch and pizza. And so we want to continue to create these different spaces um, around the country and hopefully around the world in time. And um, we love doing these things. And we think for us, like Summer Fridays really is a lifestyle. It goes beyond just skincare, but it's really like you want to feel part of the Summer Fridays community. And I think that's why we're able to do pop-ups like this and we love getting to meet people in real life.
0: Yeah, and I know we've talked before about the importance of physical events for the brand. How have physical events changed in terms of appealing to different social media platforms? Do you create an event with video in mind more these days? Obviously, Instagram, has always been such a big part of it. But is there an idea of curating an event for a TikTok feed?
1: We always thought about social first. And even though stories didn't exist when we created the brand, then, when the brand launched Instagram Stories, it came out in video content. So we always were thinking about photo and video, no matter what we did. But we always wanted to give people an Instagrammable moment. But now it's almost like you need an action to go with that for video. We don't ever think of anything being like, oh, we want to have this in a TikTok. But it's like, okay, we want to create a space where there is opportunity for people to create content, whether it's photo or video. So whether you're waiting in line or trying a lip balm for the first time or um, you're getting shade matched at one of our events. There some sort of interaction happening. And so I think we see more of that. Um, we're still a new small indie brand. And, you know, even though we're five years in, we don't have the budgets yet of these bigger brands. But I've definitely seen um, the larger brands have really big activations or a really big moment where everyone's pulling out their phone to record a video of it. So hopefully in time, we can we can do more in the future.
0: And another campaign we've talked about that went especially viral on social media was the Erewhon smoothie, which I think kicked off this whole Erewhon smoothie craze, if I'm correct. Did you want to talk about that and how that came about? I love Erewhon. So I actually used to live in an
1: apartment above one of the Erewhon locations. Maybe this had to be like 10, 11, 12 years ago. And so I used to go there. This was like before Air One was cool. And they had a smoothie bar there. They used to have a salad bar. They have a hot bar to get food. And so I naturally just would go there because that was the grocery store underneath my apartment. And in time, it started to become like more popular in Los Angeles. And so they had reached out to me. This was like very early days before they were doing like smoothie collabs like they are today. And they were like, oh, do you want to do a smoothie with us? And I was like, okay, if I'm going to do a smoothie, I want it to be something that alludes to summer Fridays. So I wanted to do something blue. And being somebody who thinks social, digital first, I was like, it has to be beautiful. It has to be something that people want to share. Is there something pretty about the smoothie? And so um, I came up with this flavor profile that I really liked. I had an idea of how I wanted it to look inside the cup. And so I went back and forth with them. I was working with them. We were creating the smoothie together and it became the Coconut Cloud Smoothie. I wasn't really thinking much of it at the time. I was just excited to do it. I thought it was going to be something very like local, very specific here. And it just started going viral on TikTok. And it felt like every time I opened TikTok, people were talking about this smoothie. And then I would go in and I would see lines of people all lined up waiting for this blue smoothie. And then it just kind of took on this life of its own. And it became like their first beautiful smoothie where people were photographing and sharing it. And now, of course, they've done so many and they have such great partnerships with other people. And so it was so great to see um, kind of how that took off. And then now I've seen smoothie shops around the world recreate this blue smoothie. And so a year later, I still see it probably every single day. Somebody tags me on Instagram or I see some sort of video or some sort of content around it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely unexpected and I did not expect
0: for it to go as it did. Yeah, the smoothies have become such a status symbol in LA, right? It's very, it's a very funny thing. And it's like, I love seeing like whatever the new smoothie is of the
1: month and like trying it and so many friends doing them like Jay Shetty just did one recently. And so it's so fun to see what people would dream up.
0: And with your own personal knowledge and experience as an influencer, how do you approach selecting creators to promote your brand? What do you look for? So with our influencer marketing strategy, we're thinking of different people each
1: month. And so it's usually either focused on a product or a routine or something that we're working on. And so we do generally try to work with creators who have previously shared that product before, because we want it to seem organic to your audience. And if you already love the product, and you're sharing it, we want you to be rewarded for that. And we want you to work with you on some sort of content. Um, with our retinol launch, we did work with dermatologists to help educate around the product of how to use it, when to use it, why you need to be using a retinol. And we thought that that added layer of education from somebody who does this for a living was really helpful because it took maybe the fear out of using a new product from you. And when we worked with skin tint, we worked with makeup creators and makeup artists. So we always want to find experts in that space. Um, And then we work with creators of all sizes from micro to larger influencers. And we also work with content creators who create content for us that maybe they don't necessarily need to post, but we are working with them for content either for Instagram or TikTok.
0: And then you mentioned your early experience with affiliate links. What do you do with affiliate programs these days? Are you working with Like to Know It? Do you see a lot of traction from that?
1: Yeah, I'd Like to Know It and ShopMy are incredible platforms. So, summerfridays.com is on both of those, and they're both also available via Sephora. And so, those are really great platforms to use. And I use them both as an influencer as well. And so, I think affiliate sales are really great. And if you are an aspiring influencer, or you're an influencer it's really important to be on these platforms because brands look at it on the other side and they can see who their top performers are, who's pushing the most sales, who's pushing the most clicks. And so it's really valuable to be a creator on there because you can get on brand's radar and maybe they'll see that you're posting them all the time so you can get gifting or paid opportunities. And then from a brand side, of course, then you want people to be able to come shop from your site and be rewarded for that as well. So it's nice because the creator gets a percentage of sales for the sales that they're pushing.
0: And obviously those drive such big sales for brands and we've seen social platforms trying to kind of get in on that and have checkouts within the platforms themselves. What have you seen with that? What kind of potential do you think is there? I think we just have to see. I think people are not used
1: to shopping via the TikTok app or Instagram yet. And so uh, I think people like to still go to Safari or Chrome and shop via the website versus shopping via the app. Um, I think it just takes a little bit of time to get people to shop via a new platform.
0: What is your approach with new types of formats on social platforms with the brand and what you use the social team for to devote energy to in terms of brand content. For example, we've seen a lot of talk about live stream shopping, and then some platforms are kind of backing away from live stream shopping. How do you experiment with new formats? Do you try to get in there first, or do you take a time to look at it? What do you think? We're open to testing
1: and trying things. So for us, it's not necessarily live shopping, but we'll do an Instagram live to coincide with a launch or something that we're promoting. And then we tell people like, oh, during the live, we have a special offer. So we'll say like, okay, we have this code for this. And if you buy this product on summerfridays.com right now, and you use this code, you get something special. So it gets people to tune in. And we have seen an increase in sales on our site when we promote that. And I think it allows a two-way conversation where people can join in the live. If they have a question about a product, we can answer it on the spot versus trying to look through an Instagram feed for a response or reaching out to customer service. So I think they like that immediate feedback. And so although it's not a huge spike in sales, like it's like not, you know, much more, it is an increase in the time when we do the lives.
0: And then for more of a bigger picture look at the social landscape, we're seeing so much talk about video versus social right now, especially with the Instagram feed. There was all the talk about make Instagram photo again, be real became this big platform that everyone was posting photos on. How do you approach your content in terms of video versus photo? And what are you looking at in terms of changes going forward?
1: I think video is really important for beauty. So for beauty, video is really what I prioritize personally and what we prioritize as a brand. Even if it's not an application, if it's a swatch of a product, people really like to see the texture of what things look like. And so that's really important. Photo, of course, is still something you need, whether it's for ads or for billboards or for other touch points or for retail, if you need it on an end cap or a gondola or on a p page on a website. And so photo still is there. But I think video is really what gets people to convert.
0: So just to wrap up for today, did you want to talk about what we can see in store for Summer Fridays next? Which new products are you launching? Is there anything you can share about anything on the radar in the future? There's a lot of things that we're working on in the future. Um, Right now, it's fewer
1: launches that we're really supporting and really to become hopefully hero products in your routine. So we don't have too many more launches for the rest of the year. And moving forward, it's the same thing. We really want to focus on the amazing products that we already have in our lineup. And then if we're adding something to the routine, there's really a purpose for it. It's not for the sake of just launching a product. So they should be really meaningful and things that you want to add and use over and over again. And so um, more skincare, more no makeup makeup, and then hopefully just getting people to try some of the amazing products that we already have
0: well mariana thanks so much for sharing everything about the brand today and thank you for being here of course thank you so much for having me thanks for tuning into the glassy beauty podcast our theme music is by otis mcdonald please don't forget to rate and review us on apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening see you next week